Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. People who do what I do for a living, preachers, are often admonished that we mustn't preach politics from the pulpit. The reasoning behind this, I suppose, runs along the lines of the old saying, don't wrestle with the pigs, you just get dirty and the pigs like it. (laughs) In other words, we mustn't lower the level of discourse in the church with the mundane and profane world of earthly politics. Some have disagreed with this. The eminent 20th century theologian Karl Barth once famously said that preachers should walk into the pulpit with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Walter Brueggemann would likely say that we don't have to talk about politics. All we have to do is talk about justice, and the politicians will squirm. I, for one, am resistant to talking about politics from the pulpit. My reasoning has something to do with the constitutional principle of separation of church and state. I used to be a lawyer. (laughs) This is a doctrine that protects both church and state from being too much of an influence on the other. I never have been too comfortable when the government and any particular religious institution get too cozy with one another. I believe that the community of faithful people, all faithful people, is at its best when it presents itself and behaves in such a way as to make the dominant political and cultural forces of our world kind of uncomfortable. I like the idea of government leaders of any party, as well as industrialists and corporate CEOs, saying about people of faith, I wish those people would shut up. This is why I make fun of things like sugar pops and hummers. I don't mind fighting in the culture wars, but I'm not one to lightly dive into the political waters from the pulpit. All of this having been said, I feel the absolute need to respond to something that was said in the political world by a politician last week. In justifying a new policy of separating children from parents of people seeking asylum in this country, our Attorney General cited biblical authority, specifically Romans 13. I felt blindsided by this. I shudder at the idea of misusing biblical text to justify a policy as cruel and hateful as this one. Even so, I will still resist the temptation to talk about politics from the pulpit. Instead, I'm going to talk about the Bible. Romans 13 says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. That's what it says. I once had a seminary professor who said that there were three things you needed to consider whenever you're trying to interpret what any given passage of Scripture means. Those three things are context, context, and context. You can't simply simply pick out a single line of Scripture and assign to it a meaning that is truth and law for all times and in all, in all places. There's a term for that. It's called proof texting, and it must be resisted. And there are all sorts of contexts, historical, literary, 
the context of to whom the passage is being addressed. I want to focus this evening on the last of these, Paul's audience, the people to whom Paul was directly speaking. The letter to the Romans was written sometime around the year 55 of the Common Era. There was no Christianity as we know it, nothing, nothing close. Paul's audience was a small and downtrodden group of people in Rome, mostly Jews, who had begun to follow Jesus Christ. They still considered themselves Jews, and as such, they were being persecuted where they lived. The Emperor Claudius had expelled the Jews from Rome a few years earlier, making these people illegal. Imagine that. There was a new emperor, but that new emperor was Nero. So there was not much future in that either. The members of this group of persecuted people were were isolated and afraid, but also angry and possibly feeling rebellious. Paul was telling them to stay out of trouble. Let the powers be. He was trying to save their lives. The fact that Paul was directing his words to this particular group of people is immensely important. Paul was talking to the poor and downtrodden. The poor and downtrodden are those most favored by God in the scriptures, by the way, but that's another sermon for a different day. Paul was most assuredly not talking to those in power. The emperor Nero was not reading Paul's letter to the Romans. There are probably hundreds of times that Romans 13 has been used to justify ugly abuse by government. In the 18th century, the passage was used by the, in the American colonies by clergy of the Church of England, my people, to condemn any talk of American independence. This is interesting to note with the 4th of July right around the corner. In the 19th century, the passage was cited by preachers in the American South, also my people, to justify the continuation of chattel slavery. In the 20th century, Romans 13 was preached by those who supported Nazi Germany and later by those who were behind South African apartheid. All of these uses, or misuses, I should say, of these few lines of scripture depend upon the lines being taken utterly out of the context in which they were written. In order to use this passage in these ways, one must completely ignore the fact that the audience was the poor and persecuted downtrodden and not the powerful. To say that Paul was telling those in authority that they can do anything they want since God put them there is more than ludicrous. It would mean that we should have never ended slavery in this country, never fought the Nazis in Europe. Last week, the United States Attorney General, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, you can't make this stuff up, cited Romans 13 to justify a policy under which armed governmental officials, agents are tearing apart families, taking small children away from parents who are seeking asylum in this country. In doing so, he is interpreting this out-of-context piece of Holy Scripture in a way that says because he is acting under the authority of the United States government, then God approves of this policy. He is wrong. As I say, it is more than ludicrous. It is wrong. It is sinful. It is evil. This is not politics. This is inhumanity. I believe that it is important for people of faith, especially leaders, to speak out against policies that dehumanize our brothers and sisters of any nationality or faith or situation in life. 
I fear that there is a tendency, especially among those who are new to faith or are wrestling with faith issues, to hear something like what is being said from Washington and then to dismiss the Bible and any biblically-based faith tradition as supportive of these evil policies. Please don't fall into that trap. This is why I feel I must speak to this. History is rife with those who have attempted, sometimes sadly successfully, to hijack the Bible and to justify all sorts of human behavior, nearly always committed by those in power and or authority against those who are poor, weak, or different. Don't allow those who use good to commit evil to undermine your faith. We can't solve the world's problem from Churchill in Richmond, but as Desmond Tutu once said, I can't solve world hunger, but I can feed that guy. Together we can keep our faith and do the next right thing that is in front of us. Let us do that and trust God. It is hard some days, I know it is, but it's what I'm learning how to do. Let us help each other out to do the same. Amen.